Rhythms, which is a study of Christian disciplines. And the real heart behind this series is that the purpose of our life is to know God. Jesus said, John chapter 17, verse 3, this is eternal life, that you might know God and Jesus whom he sent. Eternal life is not in the future. It begins now and it does extend forever. But the real purpose of our life and the real essence of what it means to have everlasting life is found in this. It's not in some destination you're going to arrive at, but rather it's in a relationship that God wants to give you, the relationship with him. <laughs> everlasting life, life to the full. Jesus said, I came to have to give you life, life to the full. That life to the full is found in a relationship, a relationship with the living God. And the desire behind this series is that we might move into a deeper relationship with the living God. Do you want that? Do you realize that that's the purpose of your life? Do you want that? Not just that, but do you, do you want to move toward that? Not just, oh Lord, give me a, a, a deeper relationship with you, but are you willing to, to move toward that? See, we move toward things in life that we really want, don't we? We take steps toward things that we really desire. God calls us through spiritual disciplines. It's the process of positioning our life, moving toward God, that we might have the maximum opportunity to know him more and to grow to be more like him in our life. Granted, we can't control God, but we can move toward him. We can position ourselves in ways that allow ourselves to really grow in him and to grow to be more like him. And that is the study of spiritual disciplines. What is it that we can do to pursue God more? Got it? And I hope that you're there every day. We've been using a, uh, the acronym WORSHIP. And if you haven't written this down already, I really want you to write it down. I've been quizzing people all week when I've been meeting with them. Uh, yeah, that's just how lame I am. That's what pastors get to do with our weeks, you know. <laughs> give me the O. Give me the H. Um, just kidding. I, I, <laughs> I'm not quite that nerdy. Um, did I do that to you? I'm sorry, Shelly. <laughs> Apparently I did it to Shelly. Anyway, the acronym is going to come up on the screen, WORSHIP. This is categories. There's a lot of different ways we could categorize disciplines, but as I told you, this is the way we're going to categorize the disciplines, and we're going to move through the categories one by one. These are things that we should desire, that God desires of us, and if we move toward these things, we will grow in our relationship with God and being more like him in our life. Worship God. Open myself to God. Relinquish the false self and idols of my heart. Share my life with others. Hear the word of God. Incarnate Christ's love for the world. And pray to God. These are things that if we can begin to learn in each of these categories of desire, some discipline, some practical things that help us position ourselves to move toward these things that God desires, then we will be greatly helped as we pursue a growing relationship with God. And so we've already been through the first two, and today we're going to be on the third one, and it's this, the third one, the R, relinquish the false self and idols of my heart. Could y'all say that with me? Relinquish the false self and idols of my heart. One more time. Relinquish the false self and idols of my heart. Uh, A few days ago, Michelle said, what are you teaching on this Sunday? And I said, uh relinquish the false self and idols of my heart. She said, ooh, that sounds hard. (laughs) And I I think a lot of us, if we're honest, anybody else feel that way? You know, you get to that one and it's like, ooh, that doesn't sound exciting, (laughs) um, encouraging. But the reality is this is an important part of our spiritual growth. This is a very important part of our spiritual growth. 
And it's an important part of our pursuit of Christian discipline is to learn how we can, in our life, in practical ways, learn to truly do what this is encouraging us to do, to really relinquish, to give over the false self that often we have built in our life and to really begin to identify and then let go of the idols that are in our heart. And just a little bit of a background to this. The reality is God created us to find our identity in him. Uh, I know in the first Peter series we had um, that we finished in the spring, we had one week that was built around identity. And I might come back and just preach a whole series on it. But this is speaking again to that same theme. That all of us have an identity, but God created us in such a way that we would find our identity in him. Our meaning, our worth, our significance, our purpose, our satisfaction, our sense of being. That we would find who we are. That we would realize that who we are is really found in him. That's how God created us. We were never meant to have an identity apart from him. For us to realize that we're completely loved in God that we are a chosen child of his family, that we're created in his image, that we're accepted, that we're forgiven, that we are delighted over, that we're enjoyed, that we have all that we need, that the security that we're looking for, the purpose that we're looking for, the, the, the happiness that we're looking for is all found right there in God, in the Trinity. And we can just, our, our most free home is when we find our home in God. That's the reality of our life, is that our identity is meant to be found in God. But the problem in all of our lives is that in some way or another, whether through our other people's words toward us or through our own choices, and for all of us, it's a combination of both, but that we have misplaced uh, our identity. (laughs) We have been convinced that God's not all that we need. We need something more. That it's not just enough just to have God, but rather we, we need to give ourselves to this or to that or over here, over there. One more thing. If that one more thing was there, then I would just be a little bit happier, a little bit more free, or a little bit more satisfied, or a little bit more, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Does that make sense? My life would have a little bit more meaning. And then in our sin, uh, this, this is our, our own choice. Our sin separates us from God. Our choice to be disobedient to what we know God wants for us to do right? All of us have made choices like that. Some of us are very keen, keenly aware of it. Others of us might have more trouble identifying it, but all of us have made choices to separate ourselves from God. And often what sin does, it causes a break in relationship. But if we don't know the, the wonderful invitation of God for us to come back to him and be forgiven and restored in him, often our sin pushes us and isolates us further from God. Because we convince ourselves that God wouldn't have us back. So therefore, without a relationship with God, all you're left with is everything else in this world. So if you can't find what you need in God, what God's created for you to have in him, that identity and security in him, then you have to, you're going to be left. Your heart is aching for that home. You're going to be left with only one alternative, and that's to find it apart from him. Does that make sense? And so your sin actually leads you further and further and further into all kinds of things, that we look somewhere else, um, school, jobs, relationships, money, success, reputation, status, health, family, friends, etc., etc., etc. And the, the basis of understanding 
this area of Christian discipline is understanding that there in your heart, it's in your heart, there in your heart lies one of the greatest hindrances to your growth in relationship with God. It's that deep, 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 deep issue that you have learned since the first moment of your sin or since the first person or thing in this world began to tell you that God was not enough, that deep, deep, deep tendency toward idolatry. And I think understanding sin as idolatry is perhaps the most helpful to us. And I'm not talking about the little wood carvings that you put on the shelf of your house that you worship, although that could be some form of idolatry. But for a lot of us in this world, idolatry looks like um, these things that I just listed. Tim Keller identifies that an, an idol is anything, listen to this, an idol is anything which is more fundamental than God to your happiness, meaning, life, or identity. An idol in your heart, and this is deep, guys, all right? So I'm, this is deep. I'm gonna get the scripture just a second. An idol, this is the whole purpose of this whole category of relinquishing false self and idols of your heart. This issue of idolatry, we all have an issue of idolatry in our hearts. What in your life is more fundamental to God, to your happiness, to your meaning, your life, to your identity? Therein lies the issue. Um, Jeremiah chapter two describes this, yeah. God says to his people, has a nation changed its gods even though there are no gods? In other words, have they turned from the true God to worship something that's not a God? But my people have changed their glory, that which would satisfy, that which would give them uh, success and favor in life. They've exchanged it, changed it for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens. In other words, how crazy are they? That's what God's kind of saying, all right? Can you believe this? It's the most silly thing in the world. If God is over here saying, you can have me, all that you need is in me. Be shocked, be appalled, be surprised, be like, what? Cray cray, this is nuts. Be appalled, oh heavens. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. Not only have they forsaken me, that's the first one. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. In other words, that place where everything would be absolutely perfect in your life, satisfied in your life, happy in your life, filled in your life. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they've hewn out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that hold no water. In other words, they've given themselves to things that don't satisfy It's the picture of God being the never-ending waterfall to which you could always go and have everything that you need. Gushing, 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 grace upon grace upon grace. And here we are over here trying to make a pot for ourselves and trying to fill it with water and the pot has holes all in it. It's never gonna hold water and it's never gonna satisfy. And you're gonna choose the pot over the waterfall? Cray, cray. Stupid, silly, right? That's the issue of idolatry in in our hearts. And um, the problem is that at the bottom of it lies the issue of, of unbelief. And God says, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. 
So whenever I am not believing God for what God wants to be for me and to do in me, then I'm believing something else for that, and I'm not believing God. And that grieves God's heart. And what God is inviting us to do is to come back and believe in him for all that we need. He's he's inviting us to come back and to find in him, just to enjoy him, to rest in him for all that we need. So this is the whole point of this category, is that we have to begin to learn to relinquish this false identity, this false self in our heart. And we have to begin to learn to relinquish these idols that we've turned ourselves to um, and devoted ourselves to more than God. And often what happens is when we talk about false self, what happened, the tendency in church circles is this. Now you tell me if I'm right or wrong. A tendency in your own life when you're spending time with God or when you're spending time with other people or when you come into church, your tendency is to try to put on like this stuff is not really happening deep in your heart. But the reality is it's still there. So whether you act like it or not, it's still there. And that's why Jesus says to the Pharisees, like in Matthew 23, you, you are like whitewashed tombs. You clean the outside, but on the inside, you're full of death. So stop pretending. You see, we, stop pretending. I think that scripture's up there. Yeah, stop pretending. First John 1, verse 8 also says this. If we say we don't have sin, we're just deceiving ourselves. In other words, God knows that we put up false identity, false self in our heart. We have a tendency to do it. I have a horrible tendency to do it. I like to think of myself as a lot better than I really am. Anybody have that tendency? I'm the only one. I like to, around others, I'm always couching myself, protecting myself, excusing myself. I'm, in other words, God looks at it and says, you're deceiving yourself. I know who you are. You ain't deceiving me. You're deceiving yourselves. You're, you're deceiving yourself if you don't think that there are problems in your heart that I need to heal. You got it? So in this category, part, I don't know, just like Michelle, we're all like, ooh, this is hard. <laughs> oh, it is. It's hard, but it's good. It's a good hard. It's like having surgery to get rid of cancer. It's a good hard. Would you rather just have cancer or would you rather have the surgery to try to help get rid of the cancer? Does that make sense? It's a good hard. This is good. It helps our growth in God to begin to see how we do create this false self and then to begin to let go of it. And there's really two parts that we have to do. We have to repent and then we have to believe. And you want to write down those two things. In, in, each, in this category, the real work in anything that you do, and this is what I'm going to encourage you to do, to walk in these things. There's really two works that you've got to do. One is you've got to identify this false self and idols and you need to repent. Okay? You need to relinquish, give them over. The other thing you've got to do is you've got to believe or you've got to rejoice. Okay? You've got to not just detach yourself from that which is not true to that which is other than God to that which takes away from your life. You've got to detach, but then you have to attach yourself to God in those areas so that you can find satisfaction, purpose, and joy. Does that make sense? There's a process of detaching and there's a process of attaching. And both of those things have to go on. And all of it is aimed at finding your identity in Christ such that God would be the most important thing in your life and all that you need. There's only three um, areas that I'm gonna point out to you today in terms of practical disciplines. Now, with all of these desires, it starts with the desire. And, and, and I've got, here's the first question I'm going to ask you before we go further. Do 
do you desire to relinquish that false self, that, those false identities in your life? Do you desire to really, to really let go of everything that you've deceived yourself of or others of, right? To really let go of the idols that are in your heart, things you've turned to other than God for meaning, for happiness, for identity. Do you really desire that so that you might grow closer in God to come back to that home in him where you realize he is all that I need? That's the first step. The second step is the discipline. There are some things you can do to begin to move toward that in your life. So I'm gonna highlight three of them today and then you can check out resources or come talk to me later if you want others. The first one is this, confession and self-examination. Everybody should write these down because these are things that you could move into practically if you want to really move in this desire. Psalm 51, David um, prayed a prayer It's beautiful. And I encourage you this week, if you're serious about this, to go read Psalm 51 and let it become your prayer. Just honesty to God. Against you, God, and you alone have I sinned. I feel crushed. I feel, I mean, he's just calling out in honest and helpful ways his sins and asking for forgiveness. 1 John 1 that we just read. If anybody says he doesn't have sin, he's a liar. But if you confess your sin, Right? If you confess your sin, then he will forgive your sin and cleanse you of unrighteousness. In other words, he's calling us to get rid of our false self, but then he's calling us to confession. In other words, confession is a way to get rid of your false self. Psalm 139 that we looked at a few weeks ago, search me, O God, search me and know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Psalm 32, one and two, blessed is the man who's, transgressions are forgiven. Blessed is the man whose sins are covered. James 5, 16, confess your sins to one another. 2 Corinthians 7, verses 9 to 12, calls us not just to sorrow, but to repentance, godly repentance, sorrow that leads us to change. Confession. Um, I don't know about you, but um, it is... Confession is hard. <laughs> I almost said confession sucks, but that would be bad. And I would get fired as a preacher. Um, confession is good because God wants it. But anybody else have trouble with confession? It's hard. I have this natural tendency to try to rationalize or deny or blame somebody else for or excuse my sin. Anybody else? I will do anything except call my sin for sin. <laughs> That's my tendency. And um, it's, it's really hard. Um, we love, I, let me just personalize it. I love to look good and moral before a lot of people. And I put a lot of energy into it. I like to look good before God. I don't like admitting when I have problems. I like to appear that there's nothing wrong with me. Anybody else? And even when there is something, I like to fix it. Anybody with me with that? Um, (laughs) But the reality is, God knows me, and I really know me if I'm honest. And the reality is that sin can be forgiven. Sin doesn't have have the last word in my life. God's grace can. But 
see, forgiveness is one of the themes of Jesus' ministry, but the necessary ingredient in forgiveness is repentance. And you can't have repentance without confession. If you're not willing to agree, confession is just this, agreeing with God. The, close, the sooner you can learn that confession is simply agreeing with God, the more accessible confession will feel to you. <laughs> because you're bringing to God what he already knows. And you're just agreeing with him that it has no place in your life. You're bringing your sin before God, your nature before God, your idols before God, your true self before God. And you're just agreeing with him about what he already sees and that it has no place in your heart or in your life. That's what confession is. God wants to forgive. Do you believe that? God wants to forgive and not just forgive. God wants to heal and restore you in those deep, deep areas of unbelief and just sin in your life. He wants to forgive and heal you. But you have to come to him with repentance. And part of repentance is confession. Does that make sense? It's confession. Here's confession. It's like Psalm 51. Agreeing with God. Not hiding or excusing yourself. Not pretending to be somebody that you aren't. (laughs) Not disguising the truth. Not acting in pretense. Not manipulating. Not controlling. Giving up on the possibility to fix it yourself. That's hard, isn't it? Coming to God and saying, I'm so broken and I cannot fix this myself. It's hard enough to say I'm broken. It's really hard to say I can't do anything about it. (laughs) But that is the nature of confession. Opening up to God the bad in our life, inviting him to come in, to look, to see the sin within, and laying down our ability to change. Without his help, we cannot change. And asking the Lord with sincerity, Lord, you see me, here I am, you know me, here's what I've done, here's what I've become. Lord, I can't do it, but God, you can. You are forgiver, you are the healer, you are the restorer, you have all power, you can cleanse me and wash me. Though my sin be like crimson, you can wash me whiter than snow, Lord. You can restore your child. Cleanse me, oh God. Cleanse me, forgive me. I'm coming back to you. You can do that, right? That is the act of confession. You see the desire here, surrendering weaknesses and faults to the forgiving love of Christ, intentionally desiring and embracing practices that lead to transformation. The definition of confession here, self-examination, a process whereby the Holy Spirit opens my heart to what is true about me so that I can authentically seek transformation. Confession, embracing Christ's gift of forgiveness and restoration, setting us on a path to renewal and to change. So what do you do? What could you do? Maybe this is not something that you've taken time to do. Do you you spend time in confession? If not, this is something the Bible says that we should spend time doing. Spending time in confession. The wonderful thing is we don't have to go to a booth and have somebody else forgive us or not forgive us. Rather, we can go directly to God because Jesus has been given as our great high priest. Isn't that good news? So the booth that you're going to is that private booth with you and God, and he's gonna be your advocate. So you're going in and you're gonna admit to God the natural propensities to rationalize, deny, blame, self-obsess. You're gonna examine the sin network in your life, okay? 
besetting weaknesses, self-centered habits, broken relationships, you're going to examine yourself and see where it is that there could be idols in your heart. What, are, what things in your life could be more foundational to you, your happiness, your meaning, your identity than God? And you're going you're gonna to confess those to God out loud. <laughs> and you're going to allow Christ to meet you where you are, to love you, to forgive you, to cleanse you, to restore you. You could ask somebody to help you see blind spots if this is something that you're having trouble with. If you want to be really daring, you could say, what areas of my life have I hurt you? What areas of my life do you think that I have the most tendency to go astray? Oh, that stinks. <laughs> but allowing that kind of objectivity to really see yourself for who you are. Got it? Do you spend time in confession? If not, would you? Are you willing to spend time in confession daily? If you say you don't have sin, you deceive yourself. In other words, if you make it through the day and you have it confessed, you're living in self-deceit. <laughs> the wonderful thing to do before you go to bed every day is to spend time in confession. Just spend time with God in confession. Again, not that the goal not being that you would just feel terrible about life, but rather the goal being that you would move yourself into the arms of Christ and receive his forgiveness and his restoration. But if you continue to live in self-deception, distancing yourself from who you really are, who God really sees you to be, or from the sin that separates you from God, then you are distancing yourself from the wonderful love, forgiveness, acceptance, and restoration of God. You cannot have the love, forgiveness, and restoration of God without going through the door of confession, faith, repentance. Does that make sense? This is a wonderful invitation for you to grow in God. Second discipline that you could pursue is this. Detachment. Detachment. Mark 8, 34 to 45. Jesus said, if anybody wants to follow me, let him take up his cross daily and come after me. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live. Psalm 73, 25 and 26. Whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth, I desire none besides you. In other words, over and over in scripture, what we see is Jesus lived for God alone. Jesus lived for God alone. At every opportunity that Jesus had to advance his own personal interests, he rather took those self-interests and submitted them to God so that he could be free of anything that competed with his interest in pursuing God alone. He lived his life for God. Survey the gospels, just look at it. How many times did he say he came to do his will? Not my will, but yours be done, Jesus says in Luke. Not my will, but yours be done. In other words, he was intentionally at every opportunity detaching himself from things that competed with his devotion and allegiance to God. Now, one thing that you can pursue in your life as a discipline is detachment, to nurture the spirit of trust that is attached to God alone. So that means this, replacing idolatrous relationships 
replacing self-serving goals for an agenda, for success or money or power or ego, productivity or image, replacing those things with wholehearted attachment and trust in God alone. How do you do this practically? A couple of ways. You can name, take a list tonight, tomorrow, Tuesday, often in your life. Take a piece of paper and write a list of all the things. Take an attachment inventory. What are the things in my life today that I feel really attached to? You want to know what you feel attached to? The thing that you would be absolutely devastated by if it left. Job? Spouse? Girlfriend? Boyfriend? Potential for from some future relationship? 401k? Bank account? Kid? Career? Reputation? Acceptance with friends? If that thing was removed from your life and you would be devastated, that is, that's a thing you're attached to. <laughs> you got it? That really stinks. That, that, that's a really stinker. Um, I hate that one. Oh, gosh. Um, I, like, I... And, yeah, I, you don't need to know about me. I, I get really attached to things. You know, I would be... I'd probably make Caroline, my relationship with Caroline, more of an idol in my life than I might like to think. My, the, the way that you all view me, I would make probably more of an idol in my life than you might think. I like to be approved and accepted by men. There are things that I know today that my heart has a tendency to be attached to. Those are things that I need to put on my list. Then what you do is you begin to let go of those things. So you gotta find ways to practically let go of those things, to give up control, to let other people lead, to stop buying clothes if you're attached to your own image, to just refuse to buy new things to keep up with fashions, letting go of that. If it's objects, to gift. Hey, when somebody comes in your house and you know you're attached to that and they say, hey, I like your tablecloth. Hey, would you, let me, I would love to give this to you. Or the next day, mail it to them. Ooh, that'd be hard. My great grandma sewed that tablecloth. Yeah, but you may be too, more attached to it than you need to be. Finding ways with the things that God reveals, hey, you're too attached to that to let go of those things. And I'm not talking about giving Caroline up for adoption. That's not, that would not be a good way of detaching. <laughs> But are there ways that I can detach myself from Caroline? If I have a trouble of controlling her or wanting to always be there, thinking that my presence in her life is what's gonna do her good, letting her go to grandparents for a week like we're about to do, ooh, that's hard. That really is hard because I have to let go of control. That's a good thing for me to do, detaching myself from something that I could be too attached to. Does that make sense? There are things like that that you can do in honoring the freedom of others, refusing to manipulate, control, Trusting outcomes to God rather than your own capabilities. Learning to do what Jesus did. Jesus lived in poverty so that he wouldn't get consumed by riches. Jesus lived lived as an outcast so that he wouldn't get consumed by reputation. Jesus constantly surrendered his will to God's. It was hard, but you know what he got in return? Wholehearted, sincere devotion and trust to God alone. And he was the most free of all people. Would you agree? On the world's perspective, didn't have anything, but in God's perspective, he had everything. The final one that I'll give to you today, and then we've got to go, is the secrecy. <laughs> this is an interesting one. Matthew 6, 6. If, if you want to learn, okay, if you're like me and you struggle with image, anybody with, anybody with me, you struggle with image, you want other people to think that you're a good person, 
and you struggle with letting that go, secrecy is something that God calls you to to help with that. It's a way of removing your false self and the idols of your heart. Jesus says again and again, he invites us to live a secret relationship with God alone. When you, when you pray, don't pray out loud and all, use all those words just to be heard by people. Go into your closet, shut the door, go where nobody else sees you and there pray. And the father who sees you in secret will reward you greatly. When you fast, don't go around saying, oh, look at me, I'm so tired, I'm so hungry, I'm fasting, oh, I'm sorry, I'm not eating today, I'm fasting. Stop that. Wash your face, make it look like you're happy. Don't let anybody else know you're hungry or thirsty. Fast in secret, and God who sees you in secret will reward you. When you give, don't Walk up to the front of the church with a big old manila envelope that looks like your pocket's bulging out. Oh, I'm giving my gift. Don't give like that. Don't write your name in light so that people think, oh, he's so generous. Look what a giver he is. Stop. Rather, give. Don't let your right hand, let your left hand know what you're doing. Give in secret, and the Father who sees in secret will reward you. In other words, he's saying, do what you do for God, for God alone. Anything that you do, even if it's a good thing that has a good outcome, that has the form of godliness, but it's not for God alone, it's not for God alone. It's for yourself. In other words, he's saying, take yourself out of it and then see where your heart is. God already knows your heart, but this is helping us work on single-minded, wholehearted devotion. Following Christ simply and in a hidden way. Practicing the spirit of Christ in hiddenness, anonymity, lack of display, withholding confidences. In other words, here's some things you can do. Find things that you can do without letting anybody know that you do it. That's going to reveal the true motivations of your heart. Give in ways that nobody else knows that you're giving. See, we love to, even, so we find secret ways because being egotistical and prideful is not cool in our culture, but we find secret names, ways to name drop and put our, oh, it's fine if you put my name on the plaque. You know, that's, that wouldn't be a big deal. Oh yeah, I serve over there. I've, yeah, I give a lot of time over there. I've done that before. Or anytime somebody mentions something, we like to mention something else that we've done. See, letting go of that kind of crap, holding confidences in secret, abstaining from revealing good deeds, talents, and qualities. Choosing not to bring up your own achievements when somebody else brings up theirs. Ooh, this is hard. Concentrating on intimate moments of your walk with God to him alone. Secret things that you do just for God. These things help to cultivate your true heart and your true trust and rest in God and God alone. Make sense? All right, I could give you a lot more, but I'm out of time. I've committed to try to make summer Sundays short. That's not hard. That's not hard. It's not easy for me. That's what I meant to say. If y'all don't know this already, I like teaching. Um, and I could just teach until everybody left. But I'm not going to do that because I'd rather send you home myself. <laughs> There's a lot more of these. Y'all want me to keep going? No, you don't. Don't say it. But I know you don't. Get the books out in the lobby. Come talk to me. There's a lot more. Here's the thing, though. So I'm going to just leave you with this as Robbie comes and we close our day. God calls us into a deeper relationship with him. I hope you want that. I hope you want to grow more and more in him. He's the best. Finding all that you need in him is the sweetest place that you could ever be in life. Just resting in his arms and knowing that he's enough. 
in your heart, there, you have built identity. You have placed, there are idols there. There are things that grab for your attention that make you think you need this plus God. God alone is not enough. And one of the sweet ways that God invites us to grow deeper in a relationship with him is to learn to identify those places. And those areas where we tend to look to something else rather than God as more foundational. And once identified, to relinquish them, to let them go, to give them over for the purpose of knowing God more, trusting him more, resting in him more in those places in our life. There are practical things that we can do to move toward that and that we should do. So the questions for you this morning is, do you believe that God is enough? Do you know a relationship with him in Christ? If not, that's your starting place. Come to Jesus. I will arise and go to Jesus. Come to him. God provides all that you need in him. New life, forgiveness of sins, promise of a hope and a future. It's all found in him. Secondly, do you want to grow in him more? If so, are you willing to relinquish these areas of your heart where you've built a false sense of self and idols? Are you willing to relinquish them? Do you desire that? Just tell God, Lord, I want that. I desire that. Third, are you willing to take practical steps in your life, whether it be confession, detachment, secrecy, or others, to help you really let go of things that you've turned to other than God and really begin to return to the sweet, simple place of resting Him alone. Let that be your prayer today. Stand and respond as God leads you. I'm here if you need me. If you wanna join our church, be baptized or pray, I'm here. Just give yourself to God in sweet surrender.